0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I want to say it, too. He is risen. He is risen Don't get to say it. You should be able to say it every week, actually, you know, because uh, it's true, but a uh, special time on, on Easter for sure. Um, you know, we know the fact of Easter, and today I want to talk about the purpose of Easter. Uh, it's not to find the most Easter eggs, by the way, in case you were wondering. It's more than a historical event that happened some 2,000 years ago. Uh, Easter, the purpose of Easter, as far as I can see in the Scriptures, is transformation. Not just transforming Christ, who was dead in a tomb for three days, to becoming alive, but the Easter story happens every single time someone is born again. Someone comes to saving faith in Christ. And even the baptism is an example of what happens when someone's life is transformed from what it used to be to what God intends for it to be. Today I'm going to talk uh, about a character in the Bible that, that when, when Kyle says, let's talk about transformation on Easter, I said, yes. And right away, if a particular fellow came to mind, and maybe you can think who, who I'm going to preach about today. I'm not quite going to get there yet, but just think about it. Who had the, one of the most immediate transformations in the New Testament? I'm not even going to give you a hint. No, not even a hint. <laughs> so... Bob is a good friend of mine, and I know I've talked about Bob before, but he is an example recently in my life of someone whose life was totally transformed from literally uh, having a death sentence to becoming alive in Christ. Uh, his, his wife had applied in my last church to be uh, our office administrator, and uh, she had been attending our church a little while, probably six, eight months, and uh, she had found a Bible. Actually, she was buying a Bible for her son, who was attending Trinity Western, and apparently they have Bible studies at Trinity, so they have to get a Bible, and he didn't have one. He says, Mom, go find me a Bible, because they didn't have one in their house. And so she bought him a Bible and decided, well, I might as well get one for myself, see what's in this thing. And she actually had a really bad attitude towards Christians all of her life. I won't tell you which town she grew up in, it wasn't this one. But all the Christians she knew, she didn't like. And so she started reading the Bible and and came to the understanding that she needed Jesus. So she shows up at my church and she says, "Um, I got a Bible, I read it, I think I'm a Christian now, but I need to get baptized. Can you help me with that? (laughs) I said, who are you? (laughs) Maybe we should have a chat. (laughs) So, so, uh, yeah, I baptized her on Easter Sunday a few years ago. And it was very special. She bought this very special dress. In fact, I'm, this isn't even in my notes. But and, and it was like a confirmation type of a dress. It was just an amazing dress. It wasn't a robe or a T-shirt kind of stuff. And, and she says, I knew I bought this for a special occasion, and I want to wear it for Easter on my baptism. And so she did. It was a really a fantastic moment. Her husband shows up. And um, a couple of weeks later, her husband calls me. And now all I knew about Bob was that he was... Um, I have to say, raging alcoholic. Uh, He went to work drunk and he was drinking throughout the day and he came home drunk and he drank all through the night, every night. And so uh, he came into my office and he said, Pastor Tom, I said, yes, Bob. (laughs) He said, what has happened to my wife? She's not the same person I married. And I said, Jesus came in. She's given her life to Jesus. He says, I don't know what it is, but whatever she has, I want it. So we prayed in my office, and we were just kind of introducing him to the concept of Jesus and about sin and about all this. And he kind of was started, this was a starting down the road to meeting Jesus. It wasn't long after that that uh, the, his doctor said, Bob, you're dying. All of your organs are starting to shut down. You've basically pickled them <laughs> with your alcohol and it says, you don't have a lot longer to live. And Bob didn't have anything in retirement, so he says, okay, well, i got to leave my wife something. He sold his business. Uh, he sold his boat and his truck. He sold his motorcycle. He sold his hot rod just to get some money to leave his wife when he didn't. And we were, I was planning this funeral. He says, I want to do it in my backyard. I said, okay, I'll help you out with this. A couple of weeks later around Christmas time, got a call from Bob. He'd been arrested by the RCMP for domestic violence. And uh, he says, I'm banned from going home. I don't have a job. I don't have a company. I don't have a car. I don't have nothing left. And I said, Bob, let's talk. So over the next few weeks, we talked, and, and Bob understood that he needed a Savior to redeem him from where he was to where he needed to be. And in the next few, I went to court with him about four different times at the Surrey Municipal Courthouse, trying to work out all the charges that the RCMP had laid on him through that 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 Christmas. And um, in the next couple of weeks, Bob got saved, gave his life to Christ. His doctor called and said, "Oh, Bob, um, sorry to have to tell you this, but actually I made a mistake. You're not dying." And Bob says, basically, I get a chance to have a new life. I don't have to go back to the old job, to the old company, to the old way of living. I want everything to be new. He actually became the property manager of the last church, and his wife is the, the secretary. But Bob, when he looked at him, he was different. A different demeanor, a different joy in life, a different focus, a different purpose. Bob and I are good friends. He hires me to do, help him with hot rod fixing once in a while. I consider him a good friend, but I considered him a genuinely transformed person from the inside out. There's no fakes with Bob. (laughs) He can't put on a show. I knew what he used to be like and what he is today, and it's completely different. A few weeks ago, I was talking with a woman who said, I'm not religious. I believe in science, but I do believe there's a God. I said, the kind of God that got it all started? Yeah, that kind of God. We call that kind of person a deist, someone who believes there's a God, but not necessarily a God who connects with people. There's other people called theists who believe there's a God who kind of controls everything, but it's not really a God that you can have a personal relationship with. And I, I, I pity these people because there's no way to actually connect with that kind of a God, some God that's out there somewhere that might have started everything and just let it run its course there somewhere that might have started everything and just let it run its course. How do you please a God that you can't know? How do you please a God that you don't think has any relationship? How do you know when you get it right? You kind of maybe do religious stuff, you be nice to people, hoping that it's good enough. Jesus, he looks in Luke chapter 18 and he starts to talk about people that think there's a God out there and they work really hard to please them, but they're getting it wrong. So I'm going to look at a couple of characters. Before I get to the main character, I'm not going to tell you who he is yet. Two people in Luke chapter 18, Jesus is saying, here's what I'm looking for. If you want to believe in me, if you want to be a true follower of God, here's what it's going to have to look like. And he, he gives us an illustration of a super-religious person. They're called Pharisees in the, in, the, in the day. They were religious leaders. And, and Luke 18, starting at verse 9 He tells the story of, uh, he says, "...some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. They were religious snobs, basically. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, those cheaters and sinners and adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector." I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Who's the hero in this story? The despised man, the people that everyone looked down on, the people. Actually, they hated tax collectors in society. They were turncoats. They were, they were um, in league with the Roman government. Jesus is saying a proud heart is unacceptable before God, and a humble heart is what God is looking for couple of verses later in verse 18, another rich person comes to Jesus. This guy's actually more influential. He's not a religious leader, but he's a religious person. He's very wealthy and he comes to Jesus and he says this in uh, chapter 18, verse 18. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit salvation? And Jesus, you know, Jesus is quite something, right? He looks right through a person to their heart. He knows what's going on. He knows what's behind the questions. And so he, he kind of uh, leads him along a little bit. He says, well, you know, follow the commandments. And, uh, and uh, he says, I have. Like, I'm, I'm a good person. I followed all the commandments since my youth. And then Jesus pinpoints an issue in his life, and he says this. Okay, well, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. I think, the, <laughs> I can imagine this rich guy going, I kind of like my lifestyle. I kind of like the fact that my money lets me enjoy the, the finer things in life. What do you mean, give it, give it all away? Like all of it? you got to leave my house? Have you seen my house? It's an amazing house. And it says this guy turned around and left Sad because he was very wealthy. He thought he was okay because he followed the rules, because he followed the commandments, because he was religious, because he, he put in his time. He gave monies to the, the poor, probably. He, he was a nice guy. In fact, these two guys, the Pharisee and the rich guy, probably, if you, if you looked at them from the outside, you'd say, well, yeah, of course, they're on the list to go to heaven. I mean, they, look at how, how nice they are. Look how generous they are. But Jesus, again, he sees the heart. And in the front story, what we read earlier, it was the the sinner that was acceptable because he came in humility, recognized who he was, said, I'm not even worthy, God, to talk to you. Help me, because I'm lost. So to push the, the point home, Jesus heads to Jericho in chapter 19, do you know where we are now? Do you know who I'm going to talk about? Starts with the letter Z. Zacchaeus, one of the the person that I thought was the most immediate transformation. But I, I need to set it up a little bit first because Jericho was a very famous city. It was the very center of balsam trade. So this balsam was a resin that came from plants in the area, and it was used for medicine, for aromatic oils, for perfume. You could get super rich. So if, if you're the chief tax collector in a city of trade uh, with a very um, important commodity, you earned a lot of money. So all the other tax, the, the lower tax collectors, the lesser tax collectors would give Zacchaeus part of their take. It was quite a racket because the Roman government says, we need this much in taxes, and so you just add you know, 10 20 30% more to that, collect what you want, give the Romans what they ask for, and keep all the rest. It was quite a racket. And that's why they were so hated, because they were ripping off the people on behalf of the Romans. And no one quite, you couldn't hold them accountable because they were working for the Romans. But I have to imagine Zacchaeus was the kind of guy that just wanted to get ahead, right? He was, he was in it like everybody else. He wanted to make a buck. He wanted to make a living. He just was we, willing to stoop quite a bit lower in his work to earn whatever he could. He didn't really care so much about people. People were a means to an end. So get as much as you can from them. And enjoy life as much as you can. And you know, okay, I'm ostracized from society. No one likes me. I've got task collector friends. I can hang out with them. But you imagine people walking to the other side of the road whenever you went down the street. People spitting at your feet as you walk by. It would probably unnerve you a little bit. So when he, I call him a diminutive uh, tax guy because he, I'm sure he stood not even five foot probably, probably less than that. Because he was trying to see Jesus. He heard that Jesus had come to town and he was was trying to see above all the the other people. He couldn't even see Jesus and no one was about to let him in, you know. Who cares about this this guy? So he runs ahead. He climbs a sycamore tree in the city of Jericho. And if you go through the city of Jericho, there's this, this Y in the road and there's this big tree sitting at this intersection and they call it the Zacchaeus tree. And uh, it's quite, quite big. You can climb it if you want, but it's not, you know, safe enough. He climbs this tree just to get a peek at Jesus, just to see this famous traveler. There's something in him that says, I got to see this guy. So let's hear the story, Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho. He made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region And he had become very, very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass by that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Hey, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house, in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give back to them four times as much. Jesus said, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus is saying, That it's not a person's DNA, as if if being a Jew was enough to get into heaven. He's saying, it's not your DNA that counts you as a child of God or a true son of Abraham. It's your faith. There's There's a lineage of faith that Zacchaeus was standing in, beginning with Abraham and going all the way through to this day. Those who trust their lives and futures into God's hands become his children, So Matthew 5, verse 8 says, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. You might not know that Zacchaeus' name actually means pure and innocent. Quite a a disparity between his actions in the community and his name. And I think the encounter with Jesus was to put both together. To help him to become who he always meant to be to get rid of the stuff that doesn't belong in his life, to get rid of the, the cheating element and the, 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 the embezzlement and everything else that he was involved in. It's like, that's not who you were meant to be, Zacchaeus. You were meant to be pure and innocent. We got some work to do in your life. God says to, to the old prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7, for the Lord sees not as a man sees. The man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks to the heart. So there's two wealthy men that stood before Jesus, before God, one in the synagogue and one in front of Jesus. They both trusted in their good works, what they could do, the religious activity, the, the keeping the commandments, but there's, there's something missing in their heart. They were too proud. The first one was proud of his religious activity. The second one was proud of all the wealth that he had amassed. And the, and the wealth had his heart. He couldn't let go of what was keeping a hold of his heart in order to obtain what God was offering him. And what I I like is how Jesus takes the despised people in society and makes them the hero. The ones that have nothing to show, the ones who know that they're desperate, the ones who can realize, you know, see themselves as God sees them from the the start. We, We don't know who is searching for meaning and purpose in life. We, we look at people, and we think that they have it all together, that they've got what they need, that, and maybe we're even jealous of them. Maybe they're the talented ones. Maybe they're the ones that just seem, everything seems to go right for them. Yet there's something missing in their heart. It's still empty. There's not that purpose, not that direction, not that meaning it's, it's at the end of the day, they can look at their bank accounts and be happy. They got a vacation planned, you know, uh, everything's going well, but they just feel like there's no purpose, there's no direction, there's no particular meaning. One encounter with Jesus and Zacchaeus found what he was looking for. And there was an, such an immediate transformation in his life that it blew away the whole city. What they, they saw this guy, he was a scoundrel and hated, and now he's not the same. Look at what, what happened to him. Look at his face, like, it's not the same guy. Look at his eyes, there's life, there's joy for the first time. They wanted to know what's going on with this fellow. We are called to love our neighbor as ourself, regardless of who our neighbor is. We can't judge what's happening in a person's life or heart. Some lessons to learn from this, this story. First of all, no one is beyond saving No one has gone so far that God can't bring them back with his love and his power. Everyone else despises some people, like the Good Samaritan or the woman at the well or the man possessed by demons hiding amongst the tombs. But when Jesus found them, they were transformed in a moment. We judge them as unworthy of salvation for what they've done or the lifestyle that they lead. And the suffering that they have caused others. In fact, we actually sometimes prefer that certain people go straight to hell, don't even get to talk to Peter on the way by. Just, you know, you dirty scoundrel, like, you get what you deserve. I, I remember seeing all these Western shows or shoot 'em up kind of movies, and uh, People that have been living a life of, of, of murder and mayhem. I don't know if you watch those shows or not. But sometimes, you know, watch a mindless show. And at the end of the show, the, 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 the hero or the good guy supposedly, uh, tortured good guy and the evil guy, you know, they meet. And it's like a showdown. And they, they say, like, okay, I'll see you in hell. Like, they know where they're going. Like, it's been that way for a long time. That's the kind of life that they've lived. And they know. But even them... Even those guys can't be beyond God's reach and his love. Even he can redeem such people. The truth is, everybody needs salvation just as much as we do. Sadly, they're so far away from God, sometimes it's just rare for them to turn their life around, but never underestimate the power of God. Second lesson is to follow your heart, even when it gets, goes against your nature. I was thinking about Zacchaeus, like Jesus was the farthest thing away from what he really wanted. And Jesus didn't have, he wasn't dressed nice. He didn't have bags of money. He wasn't, doesn't have an entourage leading him, riding in a, in a canopied carousel drawn by horses. He was, a, he was a teacher, a nobody, dr- walking down the streets of Jericho. Yet he, he had something that Zacchaeus needed. If, if God is saying something to you, don't ignore it. Follow your heart. He followed his heart and found Jesus. He did what it took to get the answer. He he didn't stop until he met with the person who would transform his life. The Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, sometimes truth breaks through the cloud over our mind. And for the first time, you know the right thing to do. You see the light. And Zacchaeus did the right thing. He followed his heart, and he found eternal life. The third thing out of this story is to be prepared to confront your prejudices, there are certain people that we are maybe not comfortable around. There are some people that we kind of turn our nose up or despise, like the tax collectors that we would never dream of being in the same room with, much less sharing the gospel with. And sometimes, you know, like Jonah and the whale, Jonah didn't want to go talk to the Ninevites. Let, let them burn, you know, they're, they're evil people. And God's saying, no, take the good news to them. There is salvation. I, God, no, no. I'm not going to talk to them. Well, be prepared for a big fish is all I can say. (laughs) Sometimes God has his way because he loves every person regardless of the color, the background, the culture. It doesn't matter. We have the truth. And he's saying, you know, sometimes you got to get over yourself. It doesn't matter what you've experienced in the past. You are my instrument, my messenger of hope. And I need you to, to realize that there's no one that shouldn't be hearing the gospel. So some years ago, I was asked to speak at a prison in Alberta, and there's a special prison for those that were involved in sexual criminal activity. Uh, they had done bad things to a lot of different people, and they couldn't be kept in the normal prison system because they would have probably been killed by the other prisoners within hours. So there's a special place for, just for them. And... Um, I met the um, chaplain uh, outside the, the prison. He, he walked me in. I'd signed all the forms to get in. And uh, after I'd spoken to the, the group that had met there that night, they said, Tom, you don't know how much it means for you to come speak to us. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, every single person outside the walls of this prison wishes we were dead. Nobody ever comes here. They want to forget about us. We are the throwaway people of society. And said, so you could be anywhere speaking, and you came to talk to us. You don't know what that means to us. Thank you so much for treating us like a human being (laughs) instead of like animals. I was just in Albuquerque, New Mexico a couple weeks ago speaking to uh, Native uh, Americans, uh, leaders and people, and uh, they said the same thing. We are the the throwaway stepchildren of society. No one wants to come speak to us. And you came and spoke to us and gave us hope and challenged us to be what God wants us to be and to dream again. After all this COVID stuff and they same thing, it's like nobody we're we're not big enough for people to come to. We can't pay a big enough honorarium for some people. And I said, Well God said, Come, so I I go. What choice do I have? I'm his servant. And so sometimes we have to go out of our comfort zone and be the reluctant prophet, the reluctant messenger, but still we go, still we speak, still we share the truth. The fourth thing, that true faith true faith, should result in a change in behavior. There should be some transformation of character when Christ comes in. If you're the same person you were before Jesus, then there's, there's something missing. Transformation is the goal of Easter for each person. Luke 18, when Jesus saw, uh, saw the rich young ruler, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact... It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You know, when this verse, when, say, when he says that, I think, okay, I really feel sorry for rich people now. I mean, I used to really be jealous of all the stuff that they had, but here it says it's so incredibly hard for them to let go of what they're holding on to and they've received salvation. They think they've got it made, they, they've got it all, but they really have nothing in the end. In a demonstration of spiritual transformation, Zacchaeus willingly and generously gave up half of, his, half of his wealth, went to the bank, says, give me half of everything, and he just gives it to the poor. And then he says, okay, I cheated him and him and him and him and him and him, give them four times back what I took from them. This was an immediate transformation of his character and of his priorities. He had a new meaning in life, a new purpose and a new direction in life. Jesus said in Luke 19, 19, I, I, I've come to seek and save those who are lost. And in Mark 2, 12, uh, 17, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to salvation. I also I, I look at this passage, and it's one of the uh, several passages where Jesus doesn't just speak to the 5,000 at a time or the masses and the crowds. He stops and goes to one person's home. He, he, this is a, a personal earthly mission of Jesus to bring salvation to the lost, not just the thousands, but the one here and the one there, the Samaritan woman at the well. She was not shamed for her background, but loved by Jesus. The demon-possessed man running around all the tombs. He wasn't thrown into prison. He was set free by Jesus. The man with a crippled hand wasn't made to feel second class. Christ made him whole. Jesus showed the light to a man who was blind from birth and gave meaning and purpose to the life of a small tax collector. He stops by the road, by the wayside, and takes an individual by the hand and leads them in the path of righteousness. One day they're just minding their own business, getting water from a well, collecting taxes, running amongst the tombs, and suddenly Jesus comes into their life, and everything changes. Everything Just so you know, the account of Zacchaeus in the Orthodox churches, Greek Catholic churches, it's read on the Sunday before Easter season, known as the Zacchaeus Sunday. And they have red banners with white crosses called the Zacchaeus flag are flown outside the churches. And tradition has it that the very first bishop of Caesarea was Zacchaeus. We're talking total transformation. God got a hold of his heart. He's changed from the inside out, not just the outside. Not just to impress everybody else, but to actually come humbly before God. So, the question today is, how's your heart? Have you been performing religious activity most of your life and you realize it just doesn't feel satisfying? There's some, something missing? That you don't really have direction or purpose or meaning in life, you're just kind of going day to day to day? And maybe it's time to be so in sync with God and His Spirit that the transformation process will begin to happen in you, When your mind first, not to being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, that your, your actions can be conformed to the, to the image of Christ, as, as we've read already in the book of Romans. Maybe you've been trying things on your own. Maybe you're happy with your talent and, and your, your stuff and the things that you have. Maybe that seems to be filling a void in your life, but I just say that all of those things can be taken away in a minute. And what are you left with? Like Bob. He needed Jesus. He needed Jesus, and Jesus got a hold of his heart, and he has never been the same since. He is fun to be around. He is a laugh. He's a hard-working, genuine, born-again, transformed Christian. So Easter is a time of transformation, of changing people from the inside out. The same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead is available to every single person who will bow to Jesus as Lord. Maybe you've never been baptized. Maybe you keep watching baptisms and you're going, you know, I should probably do that one day. The very first step of obedience to Jesus as Lord is demonstration that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior is saying, I'm going to follow you. I want everybody to know I belong to you. Maybe that's what's holding you back. Easter insists on transformation. Let today be your day. Let's pray. Father God, this is your day of celebration right around the world. Believers are celebrating the fact of the resurrection and transformed lives. Thank you, Father, for this day. For the power available to any person who would step before you. Bow and bend their knee in humble admission of our faults and guilts and say, help me. Have mercy on me. Show me the life you want me to live. Fill me with your presence and your power, and let it begin today. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.